Thank you. Thank you for joining the Fastest Known Podcast, where for 40 minutes every week we get right down to brass tacks, no shuck and jive. But this week we have a quick note before we begin. We have a nice conversation with Joe McConaughey coming right up. Joe is going to go for the Arizona Trail record in conjunction at the same time as Corey Waltering. And at a very late notice, we just got the unfortunate news that Corey is injured and will not be able to start. So I wanted to let you know that. Everything else about the podcast is still good, great content. Joe's a really, really fun guy. And good luck to him on the Arizona Trail FKT, which he's undertaking starting this coming Tuesday, March 23rd. This could be amazing. This could be the first ever FKT race. Is that what we're going to see in the Arizona Trail, Joe? That's what we're going for. Wow. This is going to be fun. So I am speaking with Joe McConaughey, a.k.a. The String Bean. And Joe, you are proposing on March 23rd, which is coming right up, to start the Arizona Trail at the same time. Same date, same place as Corey Waltering, and whoever gets to the uh, border first has the FKT, hopefully, on the Arizona Trail. Is that correct? That's exactly right. I literally was, uh, I had this plan for a while, and uh, Corey posted on Instagram, and I shot him an Instagram message, and we just agreed to it. (laughs) So it's a race. (laughs) <laughs> That's cool. And I like the way you guys are just saying it's a race. And I believe Allison Mercer, our customer service person and our social media person, helped connect you two because I think she noticed that you were going to do the AZT and Corey was. So this is this is going to be interesting, isn't it? Yeah, Allison has her thumb on everything. She was, uh, you know, she when she sent me a, a message from him, she sent me that uh, story by Corey and then I reached out to him and then she followed up at least four times being like, this is going to be the right. coolest thing of all time. Is it actually happening? <laughs> that is so fun. That's yeah. so fun. And, and I like the fact that you're willing to call it a race and just kind of say, yeah, but you're friends. I mean, you know, like and respect Corey. You've never met in person, I don't think, and vice versa. So that is a very friendly event, but still you're willing to say, hey, we're going to start at the same place at the same time and see who gets there first. Yeah. You know, I saw, I saw what he did done on the ice age trail and he, you know, he has some pretty stout 50 mile and, and marathon times. And, uh, and I, I also work as a coach and I, for the last like two or three years, I've had people who've pitched me on the idea of racing the Pacific crest trail and other through hikers to race on the Pacific Crest Trail. And it's never happened because, you know, that's a big thing to plan for. Uh, so I've always been like, oh, that would be crazy to see an actual race on a multi-day FKT. And here I find myself. <laughs> nice. Well, this is going to be interesting. Now let's back up for one second. And we tried assiduously to have Corey on this podcast, didn't we? Um, I just a little minor backstory here, but this is our second attempt at the conversation. And Corey was unable to connect uh, on the podcast software. So it was supposed to be the two of you together. And so 
Unfortunately, we would have loved to have heard from Corey. Uh, we'll have to hear the story from you here, and maybe we'll be able to have Corey on again at some point. Yeah, I hope we do because I, I do, I do want to hear his voice and uh, and hear his angle on things. And I honestly was very excited uh, to this conversation to have this conversation with him because we've, I think, we'll have pretty different trail strategies um, on uh, an FKT strategies, and I and. I don't know how much he's going to divulge. And honestly, I'm not sure how much I was going to divulge as well. <laughs> we're both, you know, we're both, I'm not, I, I'm not that guarded and he's not that guarded with, with how we're approaching this. But uh, it was, you know, I was really looking forward to this conversation. Um, and we actually told ourselves to save, save this conversation for, um, uh, for live. Yeah. So for, to speak. Exactly. To save it for live. And we tried on Monday. Uh, so, you know, a few, a, week or so before this podcast is going to be released and we uh, couldn't figure out the technical side of things. And then um, I, I think Corey's still continuing to have technical issues. So I'm, I, I definitely am bummed that he's not here with me, but um, at least, at least, you know, I'm, I'm excited to share the journey with him for sure. Definitely. Definitely. Well, yep. We would have loved to have that conversation together. And I like, <laughs> I like what you just said because you agreed you're both going south to north, and you agreed on a starting date, which is March 23rd, which is a Tuesday. This podcast should be released the previous Friday, just four days in advance. So you, what you were going to do is have a conversation for the, in a little more detail right now. But like, how much are you going to say? Like, how far are you going the first day? How much food and water are you going to take in? Da, 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 da. So that would have been an interesting approach here to kind of have the tactics aired out or not aired out, but, but good for you. But what we do know is it is definitely separate crew. So you're going to have your own, you're not sharing a crew or anything like that. Otherwise you can't do it because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So exactly. Separate crews and everything. Yep. So I'll have, uh, so like my coming into this, I had planned to do the Arizona trail, like ideally in early April, and then realized that my wife would, uh, my wife, Katie, and sh she's awesome. Uh, she would have a two, three week break. Um, she's currently, uh, in school to become a registered dietitian. Um, so we were like, why don't we just do it in your break and we'll make it supported and it will just be this amazing adventure. And then once Corey had that post, it was like, okay, I'm willing to be flexible with dates and uh, I'm will, you know, I want to make this happen because it would just be super fun regardless of, of what happens. You know, every time I've gone into uh, an FKT, I've always had a lot of confidence in, in my ability to at least have the possibility to break a record on it. Um, but when you're racing somebody, you know, that's kind of that, the current time that's out there exists, but you also have this X factor of somebody running it live, which I, I kind of experienced when I did the Appalachian Trail. I met Joey Campanelli, who was going southbound on the Appalachian Trail when I did that self-supported. And we literally high-fived in Vermont. Um, and for the next, <laughs> and so I finished because first I was going northbound. And so for the next three weeks, I was like, is someone going to break my AT record within weeks of me finishing this thing, which was a huge project. And, uh, and so anyway, that, that stress kind of weighed on me a lot, but having somebody running with you at the same time, doing the exact same thing, that's a whole nother ball game. You know, we're both going to have live trackers. So I'm going to, I'm going to know where exactly he is. 
and my crew will have a, somewhat of an idea of how much he's sleeping and when, uh, and he'll have the same information. Um, so it'll, it'll be pretty wild. Wow. This is so exciting. I hope Corey does manage to start the event. Um, these things, it's a big project. It's a huge so project. We, yeah. You know, and we're, we're not in charge of it, of course. We would love to see this. A lot of people would love to see this, but it's up to you as an individual and your crew. And then it's up to Corey as an individual and his crew to undertake it. So hopefully he starts it. And let's just, you know, since he's not here, unfortunately, Corey did get the uh, FKT in the Ice Age Trail, of course, 21 and a half days. Wow. And then he also did another FKT that took 49 minutes and 58 seconds. So he's a fast guy. This is He's a little different. This guy's got a 226 marathon under his belt. So he's, he's coming out from a different, um, what should we say, different group. This guy can motor. Yeah. I think I'm trying to remember what the what the hashtag is. It's something like Flatland Cowboys. That's like the you know because he's he's from Illinois, uh, and so I I think it's it might not be Flatland Cowboys, but it's something similar to that, uh, where you know he kind of sees himself as a as a Flatlander, um, but is still able to perform really well. Like that FKT you mentioned is called Frenchman Mountain, I believe, outside of Las Vegas, and it's a very yes very steep technical like you know sky race type uh straight up straight down effort um so to do it in that time is yeah you know pretty pretty stout because i think my understanding of it is it's one of those sort of like mount tam in san francisco you know it has a lot of people that that gun for it nice well we should uh, mention Corey also did the recent eco challenge aka the world's toughest race uh, Team Onyx, they got good TV coverage. And just as an aside, if you haven't seen this, I strongly recommend watching it. I don't normally recommend people watch TV, but on Amazon Prime, uh, Google, or just a search for Eco Challenge, World's Toughest Race, took place two years ago. It's really good. It's 10 one-hour episodes, and you get to see Corey there. Um, you get to see the stray dogs, Marshall Ulrich, who's been on this podcast, then Al Balangi, who's been on this podcast. And it's 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 good, it's worth watching, in my opinion. So Corey definitely has the chops to go multi-day. And that's also and, actually the the logistical consideration we had to work for on the start date, because he's gonna be at a camp for Team Onyx in in Washington State, and he's gonna leave for Arizona on the 22nd so that we can start on the 23rd. So he's coming from that eco challenge camp to the Arizona trail start date. So that's how we kind of landed on the start date that we did. Oh, good. Thanks for filling me in on that. Wow. So team Onyx apparently is still a happening thing. That's good. Let's switch to you, Joe. You've been on this podcast a few times naturally, because look at this, you are uh, number two male FKT of the year last year for the long trail and on the Appalachian trail, 2017, that male FKT of the year, number one. So you've got uh, some serious credibility here. And of course, anyone can always go on the website, fastestknowntime.com and under the top menu bar, click down, click on athlete, type in your name or anyone's name. You can see everything that they've done, which is kind of fun. And there you are, Pacific Crest Trail, that's big. Appalachian Trail, that's big. Wicklow, Round Ireland, and the Long Trail. So you've got serious 
multi-day cred? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not one of those uh, uh, more is better characters. I, it's kind of funny to look at my uh, fastest known time uh, and see four FKTs on, there, <laughs> which cracks me up. And let's see, one of them is still one. Of, no, two of them are still standing. Um, so yeah, but I but I love being on the podcast, and uh, it's just such an awesome way to adventure. <laughs> uh, I feel very lucky to have sort of stumbled upon this when I did the PCT when I was 22 and 2014. Wow. You're only 22. Mm-hmm. Dang. Yeah. I was like you, right out of you... college. <laughs> I literally graduated. Well, 20... co- I graduated college. I had, I finished my last collegiate mile at Boston college. I had five weeks between then and the PCT. I got terrible hay fever because I partied really hard on the last day of school and so my allergies got really bad. So I took a week off. I then did my first uh, like 20 plus mile long runs. And then I hit the PCT a month later. And uh, for the most part, it, it worked out is, is kind of a, the end result. But uh, but I've come a long way since then. Wow. Well, yeah, on the PCT, you had 53 days to whip yourself into shape. Uh, dang, that's a that's a good story. I like it. And then on the Appalachian Trail, we're going to talk about the AZT here in a second, but this is, we're just catching up. You went, of course, self-supported, which means you carried everything you needed. And obviously you could hitchhike into town and you could resupply. You can't carry all your food for 1,700 miles. And so you had to resupply on the, all the time, but nobody, nobody was there helping you to do that. And you slept for the most part on the cold, hard ground every night and the in a tent and a sleeping bag you carried on your back and you beat Carl Meltzer's time fully supported by 10 hours. So that's, that's got you the number one. You beat Jurek's time, Scott Jurek's time. You beat Carl Meltzer, the speed goats time, and you did it by carrying everything on your back. Yeah. I squeaked it in there. I, uh, I was just looking at my mileage on the AT a few days ago and, um, uh, it was so funny. Like when I hit the white mount, I was averaging about like 53 miles a day. And then there's like a 27 mile day and a 31 mile day. Cause when I hit the white mountains, I just got so decimated. So I, you know, coming into that, that was a tough, a tough finish. But, um, I was very like when, after I did the PCT, I told myself if I'm going to do this, I want to do it self-supported. If I'm going to do something like this again, I'm going to do it self-supported and it's going to be on the Appalachian trail. And, um, and yeah, self-supported required a lot. It was a very, very different type of challenge. And I think was kind of naturally suited to some of my, some of my background. So, um, that was just a really fun adventure, you know, being self-supported, you, you have a lot of, there's actually in some ways it's more efficient than being supported in my opinion, because you like, I'm planning the Arizona trail now. And there's times when I have to choose between a 55 mile day and a 75 mile day. And that consistency helps. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't change the fact that you're carrying 20 pounds of food, water, and gear on your back, but uh, (laughs) it helps keep that consistency. So you just nail time, you know, day after day after day, as opposed to, you know, as I'm looking at my A, B, and C goal for the Arizona trail, I'm like, well, if I, you know, halfway through, if I run 80 mile days for a few days, I'll make it to the Grand Canyon in time to run you know, to finish off the trail how I want to. And then I'm like, wait a second, am I, how am I going to possibly run 80 mile days? And I'm like, well, but that's what I'd kind of need to do to follow this itinerary. Or I might be looking at, 
a 50 mile day and a 70 mile day and a 50 mile day. And then, and then I won't quite get to the grand Canyon at the ideal time because there's going to be some snow above the North rim and a little snow, uh, on some of the mountains below it, um, below Flagstaff, uh, and in the snowball snowball above Flagstaff. So, you know, there's some of these, some of these, uh, it's, it's given me some of the, uh, heebie jeebies from, from PCD planning days. Cause I ran into those issues quite a few times, uh, with the support crew. Interesting. I like that perspective a lot. So the PCT was supported. The AT was self-supported, the Wicklow Round. That was a big, long day supported. And the long trail actually really was unsupported, but it was officially classified as self-supported because you, with a high degree of integrity, reported that you took a sip of water from a passing hiker, (laughs) which made you self-supported. Other than that, you did the whole thing unsupported. Yep. That was a funny moment. Well, it wasn't a funny moment. A a day or two later, it was a funny moment when I thought about it. So, um, so yeah, doing the, the long trail was something I had actually attempted in 2015. My knee swelled up. I flamed out, made it 90 miles and was kind of my, uh, you know, something that was always on my radar. And it's just such a great challenge because when you look at something like the John Muir trail or the Arizona trail or the Pacific crest trail, and to a large extent, the, uh, the Appalachian Trail. A lot of a lot of AT hikers complain about the Appalachian Trail in Vermont because there's so much mud, and you start to get into some real mountains, which you haven't really seen in a long time. But really, the northern section of the trail, which uh, the southern section of the long trail is on the Appalachian Trail. When I hit the Appalachian Trail in the midst of my long trail effort, it was like night and day. Like this, was, it felt like a super highway on the AT compared to the top 160 miles. Um, and that challenge and ruggedness is, you know, the kind of the core and the crux of New England mountains. Uh, so, yeah, the long trail was was one I felt like I had a bone to pick. <laughs> well, you switched gears dramatically. Of course, you got married and you're now instead of living on the East Coast, you're living in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Instead of Vermud, as the 80 years tend to call Vermont, you've got something called the desert. It's a little different. And I like what you said about uh, the self-supported versus the supported. You're going supported. Your wife, Katie, is going to support you. But that means she's got to be there at a road crossing. And back east, there's kind of a lot of road crossings, you know, relatively speaking. But in Arizona, there isn't. I like this. This is interesting. So in that first day, if you're going to a road crossing, you're either going 45 miles or 70 miles. Well, for the real through hiker, which you are, the consistency is everything. That's why through hikers tend to crush great ultra runners on the big trails because they are going 16 hours every day without fail. And now with, if you're stopping at road crossings, it's a little different. You're going to have some mixed mileages. Yeah. So I, as I was putting out like my estimated mileage, um, I think I'm going to see if I, I have the actual mileage um, posted out. But yeah, it's like there's a few days I'm doing like a, like there's a 58 mile day. And then two days later, I'm doing a 74 mile day. Um, and the day before that 58 mile day, I have a 78 mile day lined up for myself. So, um, you know, that's crazy. Like that's that's borderline dumb. But the flip side of it is you're in Arizona, which is, it's nice because it's desert. So it's not like you have, you know, you're relying on 
basically logging roads and national forest land that you're trying to access. You're in a desert terrain, which has a lot of like ATV roads, ranch roads, uh, you know, occasional like uh, old unmaintained dirt roads. Um, but a lot of these, you know, could be wiped out by washes. They could be unmaintained uh, and really bumpy and impassable. In fact, that happened on my very first resupply on the PCT. That was like my light bulb moment. We went eight miles. I was supposed to meet my crew. I got to this Jeep road, which they were supposed to meet me at. And there was probably like a six, five to six foot canyon in the middle of this road. And I knew that they weren't going to be there. And I was like, that was my, that was my first resupply spot on the PCT and they weren't able to make it. So I'm you're carrying like one pint of water. <laughs> and the temperature's a hundred degrees. Exactly. So that was my uh, oh crap moment, which, you know, that's, that's, that's something that like I'm taking into account when I'm looking at some of these roads, but it's tricky because it's like, okay, a third, like a 40 mile, it could be a 40 mile unsupported stretch, but in that 40 miles, there's two four by four roads and we don't have a true like four by four Jeep vehicle. Uh, we have we're going to have a large SUV. But um, so if we get in a, a place where our, the you know car can't come in, I might be looking at something that I thought was 14 miles of uh, un- no support being 40 miles of no support. And yeah, if I'm carrying two liters of water or three liters of water because I'm anticipating three hours, four, 14 miles in three hours, all of a sudden I'm looking at you know, nine to 10 hours on three liters of water in the desert, which is not a good spot to be in. So basically you're going to have to bring extra water. So I'll probably be packing a little bit of extra water contingent on the, uh, you know, I'll also have like a Sawyer filter. So if I do get into an emergency situation, I'll have a filter, which, you know, at least there, at least there's well-documented water resupply spots on the Arizona trail, which is nice. Um, and especially if some of those, trail or some of those roads are like designated as four by four roads as opposed to uh you know like a maintained dirt road or a uh like country highway you know i trust something like that a lot more and my and my crew can always like so my the so my crew is going to consist of katie it's going to consist of my brother will and my mom uh and also my dog crash he hopefully will be the mvp of the show um, it's also going to have Whit Weisbrim or El Matador. He's uh, an athlete of mine and he set the FKT on like the Shenandoah hundred, hundred miles in the Shenandoah on the hundred mile wilderness. Um, he's also set the self-supported record on the Arizona trail previously. So he's going to be kind of there as my mule pacer and has a lot of really good terrain knowledge. In addition to my brother who lives in Arizona. Um, but like if, you know, Ideally, if I get into that kind of situation and they're three miles down a road, there might be somebody who could run in and resupply me with food or water. So that's also a, an option, too. Well, darn, I, again, I'm really missing having Corey right now, aren't we? Yeah. It would be kind of fun to have him hear this. Or maybe you wouldn't be telling me this if Corey was <laughs> well, it'll go out <laughs> before Well, it'll go out before the podcast, before the, you hit trail. So he'll he'll be privy to this info, <laughs> presumably. <laughs> It'd be really fun to listen to the different strategies, but of course, you're really good, very experienced at this. I should mention you are the program manager for Andrew Skirka Adventures. So when people are setting up the trips with Skirka, you are the one organizing that, and you're an assistant guide for Andrew Skirka Adventures. So you know the logistics really well. 
And I think that's extremely important on these efforts. I mean, I've seen this for now 20 years. It's one of my standard little cliches. Famous ultra runners flail on multi-day trips. <laughs> because in my opinion, they're too arrogant. They think that their speed's going to get them to the end, which, it, you know, sorry about that. It's it's methodicalism, right? It's mm-hmm. what Flying Brian showed when he did the calendar triple crown so many years ago, that that's what gets it done is being methodical and uh, always moving in a forward direction. Yeah. I think one of the things Andrew's taught me is you have a spreadsheet for everything. Um, <laughs> like, if you go onto his website, you're like, geez, does this guy get out of Google Docs? Like, what is, what is he doing? But, uh, but he's so methodical and detail oriented. And that's not a natural skill of mine. It's nice. That's a natural skill of Katie. Um, so that works well. Like, she has that precision and attention to detail that I've always have kind of lacked working with Andrew, doing these kind of adventures, developing more as like a professional and as a coach. I think part of that is a little, a little bit of it is maybe you could think of it as like maturity. I don't know if that's the right term, but you know, I I would say as I've, I don't know if it's because I've gotten a little bit older or because I am more immersed in it or because I have experienced the problems when you don't plan correctly and know firsthand (laughs) how bad that can be. Um, like when I, I got lost, essentially my crew couldn't find me in the Sierras and I had to do the whole Sierra section on the PCT without any support, which was unplanned. That was not very pleasant. Um, so those kind of moments have, have, I think gotten me a little bit to where I am, where I am today. Gotcha. Well said. Well, you combined some skills here because we talked about your FKT background, but look at your PRs. And speaking of Skirka, I had mentioned this in the podcast before, a lot of people don't realize that the world's only professional hiker is a very good runner, very fast runner. He went to Duke on a track scholarship. And turns out, you just told me before we started this, you went to Boston College and ran track. You've done a 412 mile. You've done a 52250 mile. You've done a 12-hour, 53-minute, 100-mile. So you're a bloody sandbagger here. <laughs> I mean, come on, Joe. <laughs> Sand, sandbag until until after the trail's over, and then you and then you dish out the secrets. No, I, I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm one of those people that, that you know. I think um, like Sage Canada, kind of, you know, really. There's other people that, of course, have talked about like you know mud athletes, like mountain ultra trail kind of like any surface, any distance kind of stuff. I, I really believe in that. And especially as a coach, you know, my philosophy is like the more you differentiate your training and mix things up, the, the better your, the better your development as an athlete is going to become like, I, I, uh, let me think of when exactly I did the, before I did the, uh, before I did the Arizona or before I did the Appalachian trail, I had a fun like indoor season and I, I ran a few, I ran like a four fourteen mile or something, uh, in my lead up to the Arizona or the Appalachian trail. So, well, um, you did a four fourteen mile leading up to doing the Appalachian trail. This was in like January or February maybe. So it was, it was probably like four or five months prior, but yes, I was in the middle of a, uh, training block that wasn't my technically my Appalachian trail training block, but I wanted that you know, I wanted to have, do some speed and have some fun and, uh, and an indoor mile seemed like the right, 
two indoor miles. The second one wasn't as fun as the first one, but, um, but yeah, that was okay. part of my training. <laughs> well, I think what we're all now thinking, I think everyone's probably thinking the same thing I'm thinking. We, what we really want to see is suddenly you and Corey emerge from different directions with one mile to go to the New Mexico border and you just start throwing down the last mile. But that probably won't happen. But yeah, I know it. Well, the funniest part we would wish for the funniest part about, well, there's a few funny parts, like, cause I've been, I and Corey Strava and, and we're, our training is very different. I've been doing like twice a week workouts. Um, I'm coming off anemia in December. I did a hundred mile track attempt and failed quite miserably um, and found it after I was a little bit anemic and vitamin D deficient. So I, you know, I blamed it on that. It's of course just my, my body, not, you know, not my fitness. Um, but, uh, I had my ego hurt a little bit after that one. So, um, I took like two or three weeks off and then I came back and really got after a very structured, uh, more kind of like, you know, fast ultra, ultra marathon training, focus really just cause my fitness like really was lacking. Um, so I've been doing like tempo workouts, hill workouts, shorter, mostly shorter long runs, a few big long runs. And then you look at Corey's training and he did w- what they now dub the grand Canyon hundred miler, which is, uh, a hundred K and a 40 miler. Uh, I think if I have those right back to back. So he, you know, he did, he was the first, he did those two bases back to back. He did a hundred miler. I think it, maybe it was in Florida and he did, uh, like 96 miles self-supported with a buddy on the Arizona trail a few weeks ago. So when you look at his training, it's like hundred miles or bust. And when you look at mine, it, you know, it's 13 mile, 13 mile, 15 mile workout, 12 mile, six day, six mile recovery day. So it'll be interesting to see if, if our, I don't know how, you know, it's, you can't really quantify how much training plays a role in this, but it's, it's interesting because we've had very different training, uh, training blocks leading into this. You're doing running training. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, good. So that that way you get that, that sprint finish will be, you'll be prepared for that. I'm literally saving it all for the last mile bus. (laughs) Good tactics. I appreciate that. (laughs) I like it. Um, but again, it's a South to North attempt starting on March 23rd. And if anyone wants to know about your coaching, go into the written show notes. Your website is the stringbean.co. So uh, it's in the, the link is in the written show notes, folks. So feel free to go there. So let's, uh, we got to keep moving here. Yep. Enough joking around. So the AZT, um, like you just said, El Matador. A wit did it in 18 and a half days. And then AZT came on strong. You know, it's just it's like people start getting after it. Because the very uh, next year, Jeff Garmier, the legend, really took a chunk off. Did it in 15 and a half days. These are self-supported trips. And then the eccentric Brit, Josh Perry, took another day off that in 2019. Uh, so you've got to better a time of 14 days, 12 hours. Uh, so do you got that? What do you think? Cross my fingers. I never, I never like <laughs> to put all my eggs in one basket, but, um, but yeah, you know, I'll, I'll get out there and do what my body's telling me to do. Um, which we'll see right now, right now I'm, I'm tracking for like 11 and a half days or so would be, 
gotcha. where I'm hoping to land, but you know, a million and one things can happen between now and then. So, um, I, you know, a lot of people always talk about what the best strategy is. I'm not, I stick by my guns where I've, I've always started slow and, and built up, uh, and, and kept my body strong for as long as possible. Um, so I'll be starting, um, you know, around like 50 to 60 mile days, which I'll have to do like low fifties essentially to, uh, get around Josh. Um, and, uh, it was funny even talking to Josh, Josh was like, I, you know, I mean, this happens on any FKT, you know, buzz, cause you've had so many of these conversations, but he had like a stress fracture on part of it, uh, like towards the end of it, he had like a resupply that he was like, it was a really like I added six miles on a resupply that I didn't, if I had planned a little bit better, I would have been able to do it differently. So, um, the, what's kind of going to come down to is like the Southern half is more elevation than the Northern half and the Northern half has a little bit of snow. So the Southern half I see as, you know, my, my place to knock off consistent miles, um, stay where I want to be and then leave it to the Northern half to open up and see where I can, what I can really do with this. Um, but the big challenge with the time of year we're doing it, you know, if you're a local Arizona and you're probably like, why the, why the hell are these guys going in, in late March, you know, there's going to, there's a good chance there's going to be snow. So if we hit a really bad snowstorm, that might affect, uh, especially like once you get above the grand Canyon, North of the grand Canyon, it's very flat. So if that has some lingering snow, that will slow us down a bit. Not, you know, won't kill us, but it it basically would take out a really strong opportunity to, to I think it's the way I was looking at it. Um, you know, once I get close enough to the Grand Canyon, I'll probably just have to make a decision of whether I'm sleeping or not between now, then until the finish. Um, because once you hit the Grand Canyon, you're looking at, you know, a day a day's effort, um, or a little over a day's effort to finish. Yeah. Once you get on the Kaiparowitz, which is the North Rim, it's at 8,000 feet and it's not mountainous, but 8,000 feet and it's full of trees. It's, it can be muddy. I mean, you can go there and first of May and it can just be mud. Yep. Or snow, right? Like if like there's through hikers who do the AZT in May who have to get off trail for a few days because there's, you know, half a foot of snow from a big snowstorm that came in. So there's a few considerations that might, uh, might slow things down. And also another, the, uh, the biggest issue really is, um, is that once you hit the South rim, the North rim road is closed this time of year until mid May. So I'm not looking at any support between then. And I want to say it's around Jacob Lake, um, which is, I think like a 60 mile stretch. So, you know, I might go radio silent in the last day and a half because I'll be uh, I'll be by myself, trucking, self-supported. You will be. Actually, they, they closed the, the paved road into the visitor center in the North Rim. But if they, they put up a big gate on that, but if you come in from the Kanab side, they don't close anything. If you can get in, you can get in. Mm-hmm. But at the that time of year. You can't get in, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think, yeah, unless it's exactly. been a dry year, and I don't think it has been. They're getting snow there right now, actually. Well, when we talked about the long trail, and people should go back, I'll put a written link in the show notes on this, you did something really cool for Black Lives Matter to commemorate. You carried 
I think it was seven stones commemorating the lives that had been lost. I was very impressed with that, as other people were as well. Uh, again, going to the show notes for more background on that. But you are doing a charitable project for the AZT. Mm-hmm. This is very interesting. Instead of BLM, this is uh, Native Americans. So tell us about this. Yeah, so I guess the backstory: I, I had eight stones on the um, on the long trail with it, you know, like Brianna or George with the first name of someone who was murdered um, by by police brutality, and um, it took, it was such a weird time because it was right as the pandemic was hitting, and it was right at it was right after a little bit after George Floyd's death, and when like. The, a few, right, a few days before was when Boston did its, um, did its like, uh, had its, uh, protest. So, um, and we, Katie and I were in the midst of a crowd, like we were going to do the long trail and then drive across country to Seattle and do this move. So we were missing out and had this kind of weird moment where we were like, we're really missing out on this entire movement. And, you know, there's definitely an, an issue in the outdoors. If you look at just how, how it is set, like a lot of industries, it's like white, it's typically well off. It's typically male. Um, and that's describing me now perfectly <laughs> and myself buzzed, right? You notice a, you notice a, a trend there, but, um, but at, you know, at the very least what I can do is I can educate myself on, uh, on some of these historic challenges that different minorities have faced. Um, you know, one of the, one of the weirder ones, which you don't think about uh, as like a white person is, you know, the woods seem like this awesome place to explore and this, and this wonderful land for you to adventure. Well, like, you know, for a lot of BIPOC people, it's like, that's where people would get lynched when they were in backcountry and woods. Right. So it's a very dangerous, it can be a very dangerous and triggering place for people. So, um, you kind of are like, wow, that's such a simple definition of wilderness that is so far from my experience. That's really eye opening. Um, and, uh, and Corey and I were talking about the Arizona trail and, um, you know, we wanted, we, we both agreed we wanted to, to do something for bigger than our, bigger than ourselves. And the, the story of the Arizona trail, right? Like when I looked at the long trail, I, I saw one, uh, I saw one black person, the entire trail, or at least that I was able to notice, I saw one black person out of, you know, probably 250 or 300 people on the Vermont long trail in six days. Um, Arizona happens to be where in the American Southwest and West is where, you know, some of the worst like land rights, uh, stolen land rights issues and, and wars have happened. And so the Arizona trail has a, a long history and a current history of, uh, native Americans, um, being, uh, being, you know, put in a place that's, that's, you'd expect of a minority population, right? Like they're uh, economically disenfranchised, their health services are subpar, they've had chronic issues with, uh, with um, health, with, uh, with like, even even basic, um, basic resources that we take for granted. So we're, Corey and I work are working with two organizations. So Ches for Che, which is a Navajo-led, really grassroots organization, very pretty small. They they work on Navajo land. The Navajo translation of that name is wood for elders. So they bring firewood to elders living in remote locations. Um, and they've been around for nine years and have done some really, really great 
local work that just has an immediate, you know, felt impact. Um, they also do other community community um, development type works work like uh, like public health and sanitation, distributing supplies, um, home improvement projects, things like that. Anything that can benefit their community, but their biggest need is firewood. And I asked uh, Lauren Anthony, the founder, I was like, well, what's the biggest, like, how do you determine need? Like, um, like how, how do you determine when someone, he's like, you literally walk out your door on the Navajo reservation and you see need. And that's how we, that's how our organization operates because there's such a large amount of need. And funding is something. I, I like it. I like it, Joe, because that means instead of this large bureaucracy, a donation to this organization is just doing things. It's actually just helping people. Yep, exactly. So, you know, I, I wanted, we wanted to do something that would like benefit and really have a felt impact at a local community. But, you know, if you look bigger picture, there's a ton of other issues that have happened. Michael Ersteeg, who's the previous supported FKT holder, he ran and he raised money for the Save the Confluence movement. Um, And, uh, and that just, you know, that's like a land rights issue, right? Which, uh, uh, and the most historic organization is the Native American Rights Fund or NARF. Um, And they weren't involved in that project, but they've been involved in the Dakota Pipeline and a bunch of other uh, organizations that are, um, protests and legal disputes that have gotten a lot of national attention and they currently are representing there's a case right now going to the supreme court on the recent arizona uh there's two voting laws i believe it's two voting laws that have been proposed to essentially restrict voting rights uh that heavily impact uh native people in arizona and so narf has narf is representing that case um, so they, the Native American Rights Fund is the other organization we're working with, which has been around for over 50 years. They have a huge, like legal and political impact. Um, and, you know, do some And they're of that. based in my hometown of Boulder, Colorado. They're basically about two miles from where I'm talking right now. Oh, really? They're that close to you? Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So well, that's, that's fantastic. Thanks for putting this down. Now, how are you going to raise money? Because if people relate to this. I want to provide right now a ability to do that. Of course, the the two websites will be in the written show notes, but how does the money come in? Do people hear about your FKT attempt and they donate? Is that how this is going to work? Yeah, we'll have two separate links for each organization. Um, So you can, you know, pick which one you donate to or pick another organization, right? Like if you have another organization that you feel really strongly about it making local contributions. That's great. These are two that Corey and I both really feel like has an impact that we want to see. Um, and also, uh, you know, it's, it's not just raising money. It's also making connections, having conversation, raising awareness. So, um, hopefully, you know, by highlighting these two organizations, we're, we're helping, helping, helping open the, open the window into, you know, different experiences for different Americans. Um, and yeah, if you want to donate, go into that, um, go into one of those two links, which I, you'll probably have on the show notes and we'll I'll also make sure it's on my blog and, uh, in other communications, you know, we'll be posting about it on social media as well as this gets tracked. It will definitely be in the written show notes. Thank you for promoting that. So people can certainly go there to find those hot links. And of course, it's, it's a bit of irony what you said about the voting rights. Arizona, of course, voted in a certain direction at the after a couple of days, 
And I don't know if you looked at the county by county vote tallies for Arizona, but that was the Native American vote. Mm-hmm. Native American vote went 80% in a certain direction. So I can see why some other politicians might be trying to restrict that vote. And hopefully people don't see this as party politics. Hopefully people see that everybody should vote no matter what. And of course, the other irony here is that not so much now, hopefully, but for the previous four years, there's been this big debate about immigration. And of course, for the people you're talking about, we're the immigrants. <laughs> so they're, they're, I, pardon me, I shouldn't laugh. But I think I, I have to laugh. I think the irony is just, it just cracks me up. We're the immigrants, right? Um, and, and so do immigrants hurt a country? Well, maybe we have. I don't know. It depends on your perspective. But just kidding. I think uh, Deb Hagelin, the nominee for the Interior Secretary, I like what she says. She's a 35th generation New Mexican. And a certified member of the Laguna Pueblo. So I kind of, I really, really appreciate you and Corey supporting Native American rights. They're the original people here. And uh, they're really part of our culture, hopefully more part of our culture. So thank you for doing that, Joe. Yeah. And it's one of those things that you quickly realize, right? Like when I was, we, I hiked the JMT earlier this year and Katie and I hiked it. And it's like, well, the the native name for that is actually the Numapoyo. It was like an old trade route. And that's not something, you know, probably 99% of people who hike the JMT don't know that. Where similarly, as we're going along the the Grand Canyon, there's like, you know, five, like a bunch of different, I haven't counted them all up, of course, but there's at least four names that I'm aware of uh, from different, tri- like different um, dialect names from different uh, tribes that they call the Grand Canyon because they've been there for a very, very long time and have a much deeper history than the Grand Canyon as we know it today. So that was, you know, that's another interesting topic of conversation that you shouldn't be hearing about from me, right? Like it's, that's, that's always the irony of this kind of stuff is, you know, I, I'm not the spokesperson and I should never be the spokesperson for, for different populations like that, but um, at least doing the best I can to, to acknowledging uh, the, the really difficult pasts and a lot of the stolen land rights and issues that Native Americans have had over over a very long period of time is the least I can do. Excellent. Thank you for bringing that awareness uh, to the support of FKT. And good luck starting March 23rd. And if we hear from Corey, you know, we're going to try to insert him somewhere, somehow into this conversation. And uh, if you guys are successful in some way or shape or form, maybe we'll have you back on the podcast. And here's another call out. If you're enjoying listening to Joe, if you're enjoying any of this, please rate us at Apple Podcasts. That's right. Go to Apple Podcasts. Give us, you know, somewhere between one and five stars. I recommend five stars because that's how people find us. Kidding aside, ratings matter. High ratings mean other people can find us. And so you can help share this with other people by giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Joe, as always, thank you for your time. Have fun starting here on March 23rd. And it's live tracking. Oh, okay. I have, I have one more thought to do. You need, okay, you, I'll let you do that one more thing, but make sure you send us your live tracking info so we have that as well. Perfect. Yeah, we'll send it over. I think, um, yeah, you guys will be tracking it on your website, right? Yes. Awesome. As long as you send us the link. As long as, yeah. <laughs> I'll try. Uh, no, I'll get that to you. The other thing, which I just have to mention because it's going to be so funny. So uh, 
Um, Corey and I both have been working with a few researchers out of UMass, Amherst, out of Notre Dame and Duke to try to get metabolic and uh, like um, physiological data out of this. So we're part of a little experiment with um, with a few different uh, doctors. Uh, so we'll both be collecting urine samples and having activity trackers and drinking a very special water that can uh, d- tell you how much uh, our metabolic rates are burning at certain times, which I just think is awesome. And I'm, I'm kind of excited myself because I have no idea what's going on under the engine, but um, hopefully we'll, we'll get some cool data out of this too. Wow, that's that's ambitious. Uh, hiking across the desert, just drinking any water would be a real blessing. So special water. Good good luck on that one. <laughs> yeah, they have you do something called doubly labeled water, which has, if you want to get into the dumb science of it, which I know I'm dragging on at this point now, but you have like isotopes, H2O isotopes that have like different a different number of hydrogens. I don't know. I'm not a science guy. But anyway, it has a different number of hydrogens so they can track that in your urine after you pee so they can see how much what your metabolism has burned over the course of 10 days uh which will just be you know i i'm really geeking out about seeing what the outcomes of this are so excellent you have a time of 14 days 12 hours 21 minutes to break and if you do it maybe it will be because of drinking radioactive water (laughs) exactly (laughs) i did want to be clear that it's not like i'm drinking like uh steroid water or something crazy <laughs> right no it's not a, it's, i don't think this could be considered a performance enhancer uh, <laughs> in all likelihood joe best of luck Corey in absentia best of luck to you hope to see you on the podcast sometime Corey. and we look forward to next time awesome thanks buzz <laughs>